This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Because if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does that actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why there is True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories, before you even go to the dealership. And a True Car dealer will show you the True Price on the car, like the one that you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car is going to show you what other people paid for that same car that you want, and your certified dealer knows this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, Check out True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we are just getting started talking about Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 6, The Laws of Gods of Men. And now, here are the two guys who never, ever choke on their pigeon pie. I am Rob Sister. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? <laughs> Sorry, just needed some water because I finally choked on pigeon pie just as you were saying those words. Oh. It's the first time it's ever happened to me. It's very awkward and embarrassing. Yes. Okay. Josh, here we are. The laws of gods and men. We are now more than halfway through season four of Game of Thrones. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Yeah. And at some point along the way, uh, we crossed the halfway line on our rewatch, but it, it went unremarked. I think it must have happened around season four, episode three must be about the halfway point or somewhere maybe even late season three. We're not numbers guys like no bankers of Bravos. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're more about blood, right? <laughs> Yeah. Now, Josh, uh, before we get into this episode, talking about the laws of gods and men, uh, do you have any thoughts, big picture on this episode? Yes, I do. My big picture thought on this episode is that 50% of this episode is spectacular (laughs) and 50% of this episode could be burned at the stake alongside of all of Melisandre's sacrifices. Yeah. I don't know. Do we have that type of insight into this uh, the first time through? Of course, that this episode is famous for the big courtroom scene at the Red Keep with Tyrion on trial and everything going on with Tyrion and the plea deal that uh, Jamie gets him to uh, think he's going to take, but then ultimately go in a different direction. But the first half of this episode, we're at the Iron Bank of Bravos. We're seeing the failed rescue of Theon. Uh, there's uh, just a lot of stuff that, uh, the, oh, the dragon is going to go one of the goats and Danny yes. is going to have <laughs> to give some uh, reparations to the goat farmer. Right, right. I don't know because I think what happens after that is all excellent. Every once mm-hmm. the once the action shifts to King's Landing, it is as good as you remember. It's spectacular. The Dink, he shows up and he is so good, and it's an Emmy worthy performance. I think he wins the Emmy for season five, if I'm remembering right. But still, it is so good. Everything that happens with the trial, it's been built up for several episodes at this point, and it is just as great as you remember it. But then there's all this stuff. And maybe you remember some of this stuff as just like, you know, bits and pieces that were floating about somewhere in season four, but you couldn't quite remember exactly. It's all here. (laughs) The Iron Bank stuff, which is the most boring stuff ever. I have no idea what the Iron Bank is ultimately going to mean to this show. Hopefully not a lot, because I couldn't tell you anything that's really happening in that storyline. They're so boring. It's so boring. Um, the, The Theon Greyjoy rescue attempt, it's so needless. It's like everything that was annoying about the the Craster's Keep mutineer storyline, just like which was nothing, which was which was nothing because it was a perfect storyline. Yeah. But may, maybe the fact that it was like just like manufactured drama, it's that it's just manufactured drama for no reason that nobody cared about whatsoever. It's terrible. It's, it's like not the only time we see Yara in like a three season uh, block of the show, right? 
Yeah, I think that's right. It's not good. It's not good. And then we go to Meereen and just get reminded that Daenerys has a bad job. She has a difficult job. Things are terrible. She has to preside over something like 212 different appointments. I think, I guess, technically 214 different appointments uh, over the course of one day. That sounds horrible. It sounds like a nightmare. Sort of like the whole Meereen storyline. It's all awful. Burn it with fire. And then we get into the King's Land stuff in all of it is spectacular but in like the estimation of this episode the laws of gods and men and like you think back to all of the trial stuff and you're like oh wow this episode is a classic a stone cold classic maybe not so much <laughs> it, and it, it's an honest 50 percent i don't know if you were tracking the time on this at all yeah. rob but like the it's the first 25 minutes of the episode and then the second 25 minutes of the episode. It takes a full 25 minutes until you're in King's Landing, and then it's another 25 minutes and you never leave King's Landing again. It is the first episode that I, I, I can think of that we have encountered so far through this point of Game of Thrones where you could literally just like King Solomon this episode, and half of this is going to be spectacular, and half of this you can just... It's gone. It's done. Yeah. Get rid of it. Now... In the real time of this, I'm sure we didn't love it, but were people as critical about this when it first went on? Because it was sort of like the benefit of the doubt of like, okay, maybe some of these things are really going someplace important. Yeah, maybe. And I think probably just the the high quality of everything that's going on in King's Landing, because it's very layered. It's the payoff of a lot of stuff, like some of these missteps that Tyrion has taken along the way that he could have never imagined were going to be missteps and things that people heard and character witnesses who are being turned on him. And I think even, um, you know, as we've been taking a closer look at the Shea story arc, I actually really liked the Shea scene in this episode. Uh, I think that that plays really well. Well, given what we've been talking about in the past few episodes of this podcast, all of that stuff at the time must have been really amazing and mesmerizing. And that was the stuff that you were really latching onto to the point that you probably just forgave the rest of it because it's whatever. Uh, everything that's going to be interesting to really discuss happens in the second half of the episode. But as we're, you know, going through this a little bit faster and have a little bit more of a long view and we've got some distance from the airing of this episode, I think it's fairly safe to say that the first half of this episode it smells like farts and the rest of it is just tremendous okay all right with that in mind uh let's dive into the first half at least and maybe we might uh yara yara a little bit of it here as we please get to mercifully let's do that Stannis and davos <laughs> they arrive at the uh at bravos first glimpse of bravos in the series correct Right. And I think that's that's just another reason why this stinks, uh, because I think it's if you if you had if you can imagine the scenario where the very first time we go to Bravos and we have been hearing about Bravos all series long, you know, in bits and pieces here and there. If the first time you went there was through the perspective of Arya Stark, just how much more powerful it even would have been then like for it to be Arya sailing beneath the Titan of Bravos. And now you're introduced into this world. It just would have been such an event. Um, and not that it's not an event when she gets there in season five, but I think it's less of an event because we've been there through this very forgettable lens already. Right. And so we see Stannis and Davos. They are waiting for their appointment at the Iron Bank of Bravos, and we get to talk to the first Iron Banker of Bravos. I don't know what his actually title is. Uh, and he's kind of a dingus, right? He's a total dingus. Tycho Nestorus, major dingus. We're going to see him again. He's going to be showing up in season seven. He'll probably be around in season eight as well. But again, like, I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm covering a lot of TV shows. I know you are as well. We talk about a lot of TV shows. Game of Thrones itself is a very complicated show. And I know that this guy is going to come back, but... I'm I'm struggling to tell you anything meaningful that this guy does in the series. Yeah. Honestly, I was blown away that you just said that he was in season seven. I have no recollection yeah. of him. <laughs> he shows up and him and Cersei are talking about, oh, maybe we could do some stuff now that I'm the queen and I'm like ready to just kill people. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe we can like talk to the Golden Company. That seems like a thing. It's all so forgettable. Everything that's going on with the Iron Bank on this show is wildly forgettable and terrible. Yeah. So basically, the upshot of all of this is that Stannis and Davos are trying to say, yes, okay, you guys are in business with Tywin Lannister, but Tywin is old. What's going to happen? 
that there's another little incest baby on the Iron Throne. Is that who you really want to be in business with? Whereas Stannis, he's dependable. You could work with him. And they sort of arrive on the fact that Stannis, while he has a, you know, uh, some men, some ships, but he has no food. How's this all going to work out? But they said, well, right. maybe if the Iron Bank of Bravos funds Stannis, they could get some more of a sure thing on the Iron Throne. This is the kind of guy who is going to tell you that he's going to cut your fingers off for being a thief and he's going to follow through. Mm-hmm. That's the man you want on the throne. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the- literally half of that scene is Stannis Baratheon angrily pacing around a room. That's right. it. Right. Yeah. Was this a great bet for the Iron Bank of Bravos? Whereas they had, no. re- they had loaned a ton of money to the uh, Baratheon, the Robert Baratheon administration. They're way in debt, uh, the, Bara- the Robert Baratheon administration, uh, through now through Tywin Lannister, who is sort of running things. Uh, and Tywin Lannister, who is broke, uh, unbeknownst to the Iron Bank of Bravos. Now, they're going to put, put a whole bunch of m- more money down on Stannis Baratheon to defeat the administration that owes them a ton of money? Why? Yeah, I don't get it because they, uh, Tycho Nestorus is going to say, uh, I understand how you guys do things in the Seven Kingdoms. It's about passion. It's about blood rights and birthrights and all of that. We are, uh, we are people of, of numbers. You are people of comfort. And he is making a move here that seems to be more in line of the Iron Bank dealing in comfort rather than numbers. Because I think the numbers are on the side of sticking with the Lannister line. I don't think it makes any sense to be investing anything in the Baratheons. They lost the Battle of the Blackwater. Yeah. So. What what are you, what are you investing in this guy? And you're you're sitting across from this man, and you can tell if you have any sort of read on character that Stannis Baratheon is like the least likable human being that you'll ever encounter. This is the guy you want to bet on, right? So the Iron Bank of Bravos has not ever heard of a sunk cost fallacy. They believe that they can. <laughs> they've lost a ton of money on Robert Baratheon's administration and now the Ta- Joffrey, now Tommen's administration. But they are going to make it back by funding somebody to conquer them. And then eventually, I guess the King's Landing coffers will get so filled they'll be able to recoup all of the money. What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah it's get off bet. the show leave the <laughs> show and ultimately they're gonna, they'll lose all the money they invested in status and then they're gonna uh, get back to give cersei more money the iron bank is the worst <laughs> i hate the iron bank i'm so i'm i'm so i'm so over it already with everything iron bank get it off the show yeah lose it now while Stannis and Davos were waiting, Davos was trying to, uh, you know, fill the time and had a uh, Salador San little story <laughs> that he was telling. And first mention of Salador San in a while, but maybe that was just to jog our memory because we're going to go visit Salador San in one of the brothels of Bravos. Yeah. Uh, first mention of Salador San in a good little while. And Rob, last mention of Salador San. <laughs> Of the entire series through seven seasons. This return for Salador San, who is just going to be hanging out in a Bravos bathhouse with a bunch of naked people talking about stories about red shirts and brown pants. Mm-hmm. We can relitigate that if you would like. Um, this is the final appearance of Salador San <laughs> on Game of Thrones. Interesting. Well, and it comes as Davos is like re-recruiting Salador San to his cause. So it's not even like we're writing Salador San off of the show. We're re-enlisting this guy to the show only for him to never be seen again. Yeah. Salador San uh, did not bring up his thirst for uh, Cersei here in no he didn't <laughs> no. mention that uh davos was kind of uh not a good bro to <laughs> to uh, salador san uh for a number of reasons including that he brings up uh, salador san's wife while he's uh hanging out at the bathhouse uh with lara and the other one 
Well, that's because he's just trying to be a gentleman to to Lara and the other one. He's trying to let them know what they are dealing with. Not that they probably weren't already aware, um, but he's he is aligning with them over Salador San. And given that Salador San is such a fair weather friend himself, mm-hmm. I think he's making the right bet. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Davos is always presented as, you know, a man of an incredible reputation. I thought his head was on a swivel a little bit at that bathhouse. I thought he was getting a little a little starey looking around. Oh, wow. Yet another reason for why this scene shouldn't exist at all. Sign me up. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's go to Yara. That's a solid 10 minutes of the episode, by the way, we've just discussed. All right. You reset Yara. She's on the ship. I don't know how long she's been sailing for. It seems like that she in the season three finale, I believe that she uh, gets all these men ready to go. She is yeah. uh, sailing for the dread fort. Whole reset of the letter. Whole reset. They, they, yeah, they they reset the whole thing with like a montage, right? Yes. Where like you're seeing Ramsey and Miranda, and they're in their bedroom, and they're having sex, and Why? you're seeing the. Why was I don't, that part I don't of know. the montage? Ramsey having sex with Miranda. I mean, yeah, like really trying to compete with Littlefinger and Lysa in the the noise department. Yeah. Uh, no, but this was classic, like Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, reaching back to its worst impulses of, hey, I know this is boring but here's some sex that that and also it it struck me that this is a thing with the Greyjoy storyline like there is something about the Greyjoy storyline because it is so wickedly fantastically boring (laughs) and unnecessary that every time the Greyjoys suddenly return to the narrative of Game of Thrones they give us some kind of Greyjoy montage with this same Greyjoy music playing (laughs) underneath it that's completely resetting the stakes of the Greyjoy storyline because you have very reasonably forgotten about it Uh, they're going to do this again like even as late as season seven when theon is like gonna finally like return to like being a guy who can be heroic and we're gonna find yara and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that the same Greyjoy music that's epic is gonna be swelling underneath it as there's just gonna be all these shots of Greyjoys getting their ship ready and getting ready to sail already at this point this is at least the second or third Greyjoy montage we have seen on the show uh and it is it is worthless okay Yara, it's a worth, worthless scene. Yara will arrive at the Dreadfort with the Greyjoy marauders, and they are going to go and find Theon. She has a guy with an axe to his throat. She ends up slitting the guy's throat after he tells her that Theon is in the kennel, and she goes to save Theon or Reek, and he's not going. He thinks that this is a trick, and you know what? To be honest, I can't blame him. Because no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yara was kind of terrible to him in his interaction with her. So you know, had she been a little nicer to him the first time through, one maybe he wouldn't have gone on this crazy mission, and then two uh, maybe he would have believed her. And the other thing, too, is like he didn't even recognize Yara the first time he met her right in the show. Anyway, back in season two, it had been so long. And then he was like so startled once he realized that she was his sister and like, oh, God, like, you know, uh, you know, Finkel is Einhorn, scrub your mouth type of territory. Mm-hmm. And it's now been light years since the moment that he last saw Yara at this point. Theon Greyjoy has aged a thousand years in that time. We do get to see like his body being like heavily scarred when he goes into the bathtub later on in this episode just like really remind you of just the the sheer trauma that he has gone through he might not even recognize yara at this point like you can absolutely forgive uh theon for being feeling like this is a not a sure bet but b potentially just another one of ramsey's plots Mm -hmm. i think at the time i feel like i was a little more skeptical or cynical of it um in the airing of this episode but in the re-watching of it and it it being so close to the trauma of season three i get it mia culpa theon Greyjoy. i totally understand why you don't want to leave with yara right now but also why does this storyline exist Mm -hmm. all right well now here comes ramsey to now fight off yara 
and her forces. Ramsey has a million cuts on him and no shirt on. And I honestly, I don't know, was this part of what was going on with Miranda or did the, uh, Ramsey get really scraped up fighting through whatever Greyjoy forces were uh, in between his bedroom and here? Because I kind of feel like with these guys that are in swords and with armor, either for the most part, they they kill you or you're you're unscathed. Uh, I don't know how he had 34 different uh uh, like glancing cuts mm-hmm. with a knife across his body. Yeah, well, it's because it's probably from, you know, his kinky, sexy times with Miranda. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't appear to be bleeding, although she's kind of covered up. Um, but it doesn't, she's not like, uh, you know, cutting him with a razor in what we yeah. see. Yeah, well, they are Yara Yaring through the Yara montage, so we don't see exactly what's happening with Miranda <laughs> and Ramsey in that moment. R- you know, Ramsey shows up with, like with two daggers and no shirt on and all these cuts. He's like, all right, let's go. And everybody else is like uh, all in, in armor <laughs> with swords. So, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know. it's a weird. And it goes unremarked weird. upon as well. The way that the, the scene ends is also incredibly strange where um, he and his other people here are able to basically get the advantage against the Greyjoys. There's still a few Greyjoys that are around, including Yara, uh, and Ramsay is going to compliment Yara Greyjoy and say, you have bigger balls than he ever did. I wonder if they're uh, big enough to like impede upon your ability to run fast. As he starts to very, 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 very slowly uncage his hungry, hungry, angry hounds. Uh, and Yara and like the two Greyjoys Greyjoy soldiers that are still alive that she is there with are going to very slowly like be like, that's going to be bad if we stick around for the dogs. Like, should we go? Maybe we should go. I think we should probably go. And then you cut to this other scene of them running away. And like the hounds are like screaming off in the distance. They still didn't even get out. Well, how did that work? Okay, how did that work? Well, I, I can tell you exactly how the, how this worked. You, you didn't watch the deleted scene that was on HBO go. No, I'm okay. only doing the bare minimum right, effort so, yeah, for so this in, rewatch. So there's a deleted scene where Ramsey has the big skeleton key and he's like, oh, maybe I'm going to let my dogs out. OK, uh, so he goes and he puts the key into the keyhole and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, that this isn't the key for this cage. All right, oh, it's the wrong key. One. And then yeah. so he has to go and try. And that's really one of the reasons why when you have a dog kennel, they say you don't need to keep dogs under lock and key. They can't just reach through the bars and open it themselves. You could just put some sort of like a lever or a clasp to close a dog kennel. You don't need a skeleton key to keep your dogs under lock and key. So Ramsey should really be reevaluating how he is, uh, how he is keeping these dogs, uh, where they are. He should, he, he shouldn't have such a sophisticated lock system is what you're saying. Yeah. He ends up yelling at one of the guys where he's like, Hey, let's just change this to a little hook with like a loop and we can just do that. Maybe something spring loaded and then not keep the dogs under lock and key. Cause then when somebody is attacking, I ha- I only have one key and then I have to figure out which is the right lock to put the key into. Well, and we, was, and I, yeah. and ironically that this system was devised by <laughs> Bruce Bolton's number one people. <laughs> What's his name? Just say it. Lock. Lock. Yes. Yeah, that was yes. The guy that yes. He ended up coming up with this idea. That's why him and uh, Ramsey are such good friends. But in hindsight, <laughs> really, you just want something that's like a little bit of a, like a lever and then you can just let the dogs out quickly. Okay. So all of that happens. And then Yara gets in the boat and they're like, what about Theon? She goes, my brother is dead. Move on. Yeah. And all of that for nothing. Yes. All but, of it for nothing. Now, but then we have to go back to Ramsey and oh. to then to Reek. And Reek, hey, I have a reward for you. You need to get in the bath. We have a bath for Reek. And it, it it's so weird how they treat this scene as well, Josh, because they try to make like it's like, is this a trick? Is this a trick? Is this like uh, filled with hydrochloric acid and Reek right. is going to get in? And right. then Reek uh, gets is very hesitant to get into the bathtub and then he gets in and like the music swells like something ominous when Reek is going to get sponged down by Ramsey. But it turns out it was just a sponge. 
just a bath. It's just a bath. And and Ramsey is just going to be washing Reek off. And like Ramsey, you don't have anybody else who could do this job for you. Like you're really just excited to bathe Reek yourself. Uh, I guess that's in character. I don't know he why does, the show he does love torture. to treat this moment as being super suspenseful. Is Ramsey really going to give Reek a bath? There's two reasons that I can think of. One of them is that they uh, they want to just like build the suspense of the moment, and we have not seen Ramsey do something that is like actually genuinely tame or even pleasant towards Reek. So they're you know using that card here. They're playing that card here, and then the other reason is apparently they have to fill 25 minutes worth of screen time before they can get to the trial in this episode and yeah. this is just one more way to spin their wheel this was a short episode too so that anything they had for the 50 minutes 50 yeah. minutes yeah, this 20 was, this was 25 tight. minutes 25 minutes of nonsense mm-hmm. and 25 minutes of excellence we're okay. still in the bullshit All at right. this point ramsey also has a plan i need you to be theon Greyjoy. there's some bad men at a castle i need to go and uh and send you there okay so that is what we're gonna see the next time uh theon is on the screen uh sending him to moat Kalen. Yeah, so that storyline, you know, that'll that'll uh, that'll pay off, I guess. Yeah. Hey, let's check in with the goat farmers of Marine. <sighs> God, <laughs> just a normal oh, day God. over on <laughs> the goat farm, and there's a young man. He's sitting there. He's watching the goats, and you know, I that I, I, I thought that this was going to be particularly ominous. That I think I forgot the order of the stories here. In right, four, right. But nope, it's just uh, just Drogon chomping on some goats. Right. And I mean, look, in fairness, like this is going to set up that later point that will happen um, deeper into the season. I think maybe the finale uh, of this boy is presumably the boy or at least an avatar of uh, one of the children in Meereen who is going to get torched and killed by Drogon. And that's horrible and terrible. Um, that being said... Again, this is just like, it's just like, we're now getting dangerously close to halfway through the episode and just nothing has happened yet. <laughs> yes. So now the goat farmer comes to Danny with a pile of goat bones, which I believe that uh, was this the one goat was the casualty or did Drogon eat 10 goats? He like picked up a goat and went off with one goat, but in like the roaring of the fire at the goats, they he probably killed the rest of the goats. Okay, so he you know has this goat carcass that he brings to Danny, and there's a whole reset of all Danny's titles for each. I mean, they could probably. I mean, you have 214 people to see. I think you could sort of like uh, just maybe you could have uh, Missande just go up and down the line and say, "Okay, you're all going to be seeing the great, uh, the great Daenerys Targaryen. She is, of course, the mother of dragons, and and she, she could just like uh, maybe just like do all that stuff in." the warm-ups daenerys is not one to take shortcuts you know she's she's here to do the work rob Mm -hmm. she's here to do the work but i do feel like this is probably the type of stuff that is going to make her reevaluate how she does business should she win the iron throne down the line she's like i don't know that i want to take 212 meetings in a single day anymore Mm -hmm. i think i'm good on that i think i've done that yeah. Okay. So Danny ends up telling the guy, I'll pay you three times what the goat is worth. He seems very happy. It didn't seem like he had an emotional attachment to the goat, but uh, he was out a little bit of money. And then she throws some money at him. He's happy. She seems very pleased with herself. So right. open and shut case. Be prepared to do that 212 more times today. Mm-hmm. That's not, <laughs> it's not going to be sustainable. Okay. But now we have the introduction to a new character, Josh. It's his dar, Zolorak. I am Zolorak. I speak for the trees. Yes. Okay. Yes. Here comes his dar. Here comes his dar. He is of one of the oldest and proudest families in Mirene. And he has a grievance. Yes. And his family was instrumental in building this pyramid of, of Marine. And Danny's like, well, I like it very much. Please send my best to all your family members. They're like, well, you crucified them. 
Yeah, they're dead because of you. Awkward. Very awkward. Very uncomfortable. And she's like, well, what did you want me to do? He crucified all those children. And Mm -hmm. he says, my dad voted against that. He wasn't into it. My dad was woke. Mm -hmm. He's a woke, woke master. Uh, And um, it's a little uncomfortable. Tense. Okay. So he's not even, you know, too upset about it. Like what's done is done. He sort of resigned about the whole thing. But I'd like to give funeral rites of a proper burial to the people that you crucified. And Danny said, well, what about the proper burial of all the people that you guys crucified? Huh? Yeah, how about that? A lot of um, whataboutism going on in Marine. Indeed. Oh, my God. So much. Too much. Like, well, you and guys are hypocrites. Yeah, they can't get along. Nobody can get along. It is a great divide that is occurring Very here. polarized times in Marine. Yes, yes. yes. And um, Danny relents eventually. She's like, you know, bury your dad. That's fine. 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 Do it. And that's when Missande says, okay, only 212 more supplicants to go. And that's when Jorah says, I'll put on the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be uh, a long night. Yes, it's a Yunkai roast or uh, do you want the, the light Astapor blend? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so okay. it's going to be it's going to be a, a long day in Mirene. And with that, thank Let's God. go to King's Landing. Let's uh, go to King's Landing. Right. Now we have to warm up a little bit with a small council meeting, but after all that, it's so fun though because these are characters you like, and the Red Viper. We know we don't have a ton of Red Viper on the show, so any Red Viper scene I'm here for, and he's very funny at the small council. And Tywin Lannister just dunking on Mace Tyrell. That's fun. Yeah, Mace Tyrell is also on the small council now, and uh, there's no mention of what job that. Um, um, Prince Oberyn has on the small council, but Mace Tyrell already called dibs on being the master of ships. <laughs> I love that. And you find that out because the Red Master, the, the Red Master, the Red Viper, uh, doesn't he say like, am I the master of ships or something like that? Mace like, I'm the master of ships. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, Mace Tyrell, you are terrible. Even your mom doesn't like you. Yes. Okay. So we have some old business to attend to. Uh, Sandor Clegane spotted in the Riverlands. He said F the king also. Yeah. So somebody, uh, there's a narc at that inn. Uh, mm-hmm. where they ate all the chickens. Someone was uh, not happy that the Hound ate every single last chicken in that place. Okay, so the bounty on the Hound is up to 100 silver stags for whoever can take down Sandor Clegane. Wow. Brienne, you hear that? Yeah. Cat, cash in. A lot of money. Okay. Also, uh, some word from the East. Danny has now taken over Marine and she has, uh, Jorah Mormont and, uh, Sir Barristan by her side. Right. And Tywin's like, oh man, that stinks. And Cersei's like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Barristan was old. He couldn't protect the king. And Tywin says, yeah, he wasn't here when the king died. Mm-hmm. It was, it was insulting to get rid of him and it was stupid. Mm-hmm. Tywin is like, you know, in, in his defense, he is like legitimately vaguely worried about what's going on with Daenerys. Yes. So. Oberyn, uh, that when it's reported about that Danny also has an army of the Unsullied, that, that Oberyn has spent time in the East, and he has been impressed with the Unsullied as well. On the battlefield. On the battlefield. Le- less so in the bedroom, he says. They were unimpressive there. I do appreciate that, uh, you know, that implication, though, that the Red Viper has uh, taken the, the goods for a spin. Yes. So, Josh, uh, we see that Tywin says, okay, fetch my quill and paper. So he's going to start writing letters again. What what letter is he writing? This I'm not is really lost sure. on me because it yeah. seems like oh oh Tywin's planning the next red wedding for Danny. Uh oh, but I don't remember what the payoff is here to this. Neither do I. Is he I just writing re- to the masters in Slavers Bay of like hey, uh, you've got a friend in Tywin. Right. Um, that musical number is deleted as well. Uh, I just, I just enjoyed it because, uh, when he has the quill and paper fetched, he has the master of ships, yes. uh, go and fetch the quill and paper. And I just thought that was a, a delightful way to treat 
Mace Tyrell. Okay. All right. Uh, we also have the scene with Varys and Prince Oberyn, and similar to when uh, Varys and Littlefinger would meet up in the Red Keep, and uh, we get a little bit of a reset of Oberyn uh, spending time in Essos. He's been all over the world, and uh, there is a, a little bit of a reset of Varys and his sexuality, and we find out that Varys was interested in nothing. He's seen what desire does to people, and that uh, free time that he has not thinking about uh, courtship he is able to think about other things and he gives like a look to the Iron Throne and Josh did this seem out of character to it make the show makes it seem like that Varys has aspirations to sit on the Iron Throne which I don't yeah. think is ever really ever uh, confirmed at any other point I think it's it's something that we can interpret now under a different lens where you know that he cares about the realm the and realm. you know that he, he cares about like Daenerys sitting there or at least somebody just and fair and somebody who's going to do the job well and, um, you know, break the wheel or just at least create a new status quo that is better than the one that they are living in now. Um, but watching it in the moment, you are suspicious of why he's looking at the throne because I think that you still look at him in the same way that you look at Littlefinger. You still look at him as somebody who he's got some sort of scheme that we do not yet fully understand and appreciate. I am fairly prepared to declare that Varys is not like a threat in that regard. And if so, if that's something that's going to come up in the final season of the show, that's going to be a real uh, surprise. Um, but I think in the in the airing of the show in that moment in time, as you don't have the context of anything that comes past this point in the series, I think that the show still wants you to be kind of suspicious of Varys to a degree. And I think that the scene is also good in that it is um, reinforcing the Red Viper once again as like a new important character who is now meaningful enough to the plot of the show that he can have this type of a conversation with Varys. He can be here in a moment like this so that he can, um, you know, the viewer starts to invest more in him and think that he's going to be somebody that's really important. And I think that that is important in order to successfully blow everybody's minds when his head is going to get crushed in two episodes. You know, I think just like the, the constant setting him up of somebody who's going to be grand and important. I think that is why when he does die, that feels so shocking because so much recent story effort has been placed into this character. It does set up a bond between Varys and at least Dorne, where we will see Varys at the end of season six when he's able to uh, really start traveling by map when he is able to go to Dorne and officially make that alliance with them on Daenerys's behalf. So there is at least some sort of uh, context between uh, Varys having a working relationship with Dorne. Right. And also at that same meeting, he's going to have uh, the Queen of Thorns there and he's going to be like, yeah, Tywin Lannister was really mean to your mm -hmm. son. Yes. And he was so excited to be Master of Ships and <laughs> he was he was just an errand boy and it was terrible. Yes. So we finally get to Tyrion and we see Jamie, who is tasked with bringing Tyrion out in chains to go and appear at his hearing. Yeah, so he's going to be brought into the Red Keep and he's going to be brought to like his seat in the middle of the room. And speaking of deleted scenes, there is a great uh, blooper reel for season four, which uh, includes the same shot of Tyrion walking into I don't know what you want to call this like the like the the stand yes uh, and he is um, you know it's very serious and played straight on the show but very memorably if you ever watched the blooper reels there's a really funny one of Peter Dinklage just like dancing yeah. well, his I've way seen to the, the stand GIF, and then yes. when I watched the scene I expected it to be the gif because yes. I watched this since it aired I was like, no oh. the gif is closer to the wall yes <laughs> yes all right so here comes Tyrion and uh, they're going to bring him out and we find out that Tommen is going to recuse himself from this investigation. A wise decision. <laughs> yes. Why does Tommen need to recuse himself and uh, Tywin does not need to recuse himself? Well, I think Tywin has probably come up with some sort of way to convince Tommen that, like, this is probably not... You love your uncle. You're not going to be able to be fair and partial. Like, it's going to be... It's just not going to be a wise thing for you to do to be yes. on this stand. And I did enjoy that. And, like, I think that even, like... Tyrion seeing Tommen as 
as the king. Like, they don't really linger on it too much. But you did just kind of get the sense of Tyrion being like, this is a better king than the one who died. Like, you do you do get the sense that, like, Tyrion loves this kid. And, like, there's some sorrow here, but also maybe, like, a slight measure of, like, proud uncle in this moment. Yes. And so Tommen recuses himself. So then it falls to the jurisdiction of the uh, deputy king, which I guess is the hand of the king in Tywin Lannister. And so he is going to conduct and oversee this investigation. And so we have our three judges uh, also with Oberyn and Mace Tyrell and every it's a who's who at King's Landing of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of witnesses who are going to be called to the stand. And again, it's the kind of thing where it's 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 a really great sequence because they are bringing back a lot of callbacks from earlier in the series. Like Marin Trant is going to be the first witness. He's going to, you know, bring up the time that like Tyrion like publicly slapped Joffrey and you remember that. And you remember how Tyrion is saying, "Yeah, well you're leaving out the part where Joffrey was pointing a loaded crossbow at Sansa after ripping her dress and like all of that these are things that just like suddenly like flood back to your memory of oh yeah this was all stuff that was gonna you know you wouldn't have thought about it in the moment as something that's gonna pay off down the line but this is the culmination of Tyrion's entire king's landing arc up until this point it's really really well done okay so we're gonna get some opening questions did you kill joffrey nope no he didn't no okay did sansa kill joffrey not that I know of. Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, then how did he die? Choked on pigeon pie. Okay. So Tyrion being a little flip, would you say? Yeah, but that's just kind of Tyrion's default anyway. And I got to imagine that the duck sausage has run out by now. He's probably a little hungry and tired and uh, over it mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to see a bunch of witnesses called to the stand. Uh, Marin Trant is going to be the first person we're going to hear testimony from. Yeah. And I think we've already covered that. It's the, it's, you know, he talks about Tyrion slapping Joffrey and Tyrion's like, Hey, don't forget what Joffrey was doing that was worthy of him getting smacked. Uh, so the Marin Trant one is pretty quick. I thought the, the Pycelle, Pycelle is the second witness who is called to the stand. Uh, and I think that this, this was clever where it's like, Oh yeah, you kind of forget that Pycelle is removed from his post for a good chunk of season two. That's a long period of time for somebody to raid the supply closet. Mm-hmm. Now, also, Maester Pycelle starts talking about how, hey, Sir Dantos, uh, they ended up finding him and then finding the necklace on his person. And then we see the King's Landing CSI did some sort of an analysis on the necklace and found residue of the dangerous poison, the strain, the strangler, the strangler, the strangler that was on there, not the uh, the great uh, Billy Joel album. Or Egon Strangler. Josh, now, uh, this to me seemed a little out there that the uh, Sir Dantos was found. I mean, was this part of what uh, Littlefinger's plot was? Or was this just very fortuitous that they found Sir Dantos's boat? Yeah, does he hire somebody to take Sir Dantos's body to King's Landing? Like, is there is there some sort of follow through plan that he has in mind? I think it's not impossible, but I don't even know that Littlefinger really needs to think about this too hard. Uh, they found the necklace and they yeah. tested the necklace for poison. And they right, 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 right. Must have got a hot tip somewhere along the way to be able to be on top of all this. And I liked when uh, Macy Parcella is talking about how uh, Tyrion took down the most noble child the gods ever put on this earth. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's what he says. The most noble child the gods ever put on this good earth. Joffrey Baratheon. Grandmaster Maester Pycelle is literally just the single biggest Lannister stand that ever existed. He's all in. Okay. Now, Cersei comes to the stand. And did you know about Cersei's photographic memory before this episode, Josh? No, this was news to me. <laughs> yeah. Because Cersei does, uh, she must have had the script from uh, back in season two, where she was able to recite word for word several lines that Tyrion uttered to her about how her joy would turn to ashes in her mouth. 
I feel like we talked about this before uh, when this line came up in the show. Uh, and the idea being like what Tyrion said to her was kind of singular, singularly messed up. Like mm-hmm. just like a really like very vivid, colorful threat. She was also uh, pretty wasted, I believe, as well. Right. She's probably pretty wasted right now. <laughs> State dependent memory. Mm-hmm. It follows the tracks. Mm-hmm. Wow. Incredible memory from Cersei to be able to uh, recall all of this. I don't think that we should underestimate Cersei given where we see her go in this storyline, you know, in the in the arc of Game of Thrones. So if we are being revealed uh, right now to the fact that Cersei has photographic memory, I'm here for it. I buy it. I think that we we have made the mistake of underestimating Cersei. I don't want to do it too many times. Too many times. Yes. Yes. Varys comes to the stand and Varys talks about a small council meeting where Tyrion said, uh, you know, he did not seem that bummed out that Rob Stark or he didn't seem that excited that Rob Stark uh, was killed. Maybe he is a Stark sympathizer. And he said to Joffrey that, hey, kings are dropping like flies. I'd watch it, buddy. Yeah, Varys's testimony leaves the audience shook, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone's like hearing Varys is like, "Oh my god." Just like audible gasps. Gasps are where it's at. Uh and Varys is really able to manipulate the room with what he is saying. And great on Varys and follow through on what he told Tyrion one time. He's like, "If I'm ever caught, like I'm just like you're not going to be my friend anymore. Like I can't say anything that's going to defend you. Like I got to play my part. I got a part to play." Mhm. And then we get Tyrion asking Tywin, can he ask one question? Can he cross-examine Varys? Like, fine, one question. Yeah. And the one question that Tyrion decides to, to waste this on was, you once said that without me, this city would have faced certain defeat. You said the histories would never mention me, but you would not forget. Have you forgotten, Lord Varys? Mm-hmm. Yes, and Varys gives him a one-worded reply, or a very short reply, rather. He says, sadly, my lord, I never forget a thing. Um, one of the most stressful and terrible things uh, that I encounter in my line of work, Rob, is when like the publicist comes on the phone while I'm interviewing somebody and says, all right, you've got time for one more question, and you ask a bad question Mm. that's not going to yield any kind of meaty response Tyrion buddy I I've been here I get it but you did you did screw up (laughs) what question should he have asked Varys I don't know something that's going to get him talking a little bit more like have you forgotten Lord Varys is essentially a yes or no question Mm -hmm. don't ask him a yes or no question ask him something that's going to keep him jabbering for a little while Mm -hmm. longer yeah or something a little more pointed, like, hey, remember that time you helped me do this thing that by me calling that out is going to make you be a little more defensive? Mm-hmm. Maybe go that way. Yeah. So is there a better witness that Tyrion could have called to the stand? Is there anybody that we're not thinking of that could have really helped him out here? No, not at this point. Um you know, Shay has already been turned. He thinks that Shay is gone. Mm. I mean, if he could have called a witness to the stand and if he could have uh, like sprung it upon Jamie Lannister in that moment and Jamie kind of being where Jamie is at in terms of what the writers certainly want us to believe uh, Jamie's headspace is at at this point in time, like maybe Jamie's going to be a little more team Tyrion publicly and that could complicate some things for Tywin. Maybe Jamie is the guy you call, but there's really nobody else. Okay. All right. We're going to adjourn for an hour and the bells will toll in one hour and then uh, we'll, we'll come back. All right. So we're going to see Jamie and Tywin during the recess. And so Tywin is performing his duty and Jamie is really saying, Dad, are, we, are you really doing this? Come on. Uh, Tywin enjoying lunch, too. Like snacking on charcuterie. Looked mm-hmm. good. Oh, tasty. Tasty lunch break. Yeah. What's going to happen to the Lannister dynasty once you execute Tyrion, Dad? Yeah. Come on, Dad. Uh, it's like a Lannister. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, it did make me think, like, why doesn't Tywin remarry and, you know, create new heirs? Maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe that's what he's going for. But I think that you do get the sense that he had his plan. Uh, Because Jamie's like, please don't kill my brother. 
this is a farce. This is stupid. Don't kill my brother. If you let him live, I'll leave the King's Guard. I will be your son and heir if you let Tyrion. Li-. And Tywin's just like done. Yes, mm-hmm. sold. You bit, you bit. This is what I was going for the whole time. I'm into it. Is Tywin playing 4D chess here? Was this what Tywin actually wanted? Yeah, it's a Dr. Mike move. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he is seeing uh, he is he is seeing the board in a way that we cannot possibly fathom. <laughs> I believe it a little more about Tywin Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> Just track record based on track record. <laughs> I mean, he had, yeah. like the Tywin played yes. the Red Wedding. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you What do you mean, guys? I saved turtles. <laughs> yeah, five D right. chess move. So here's the deal. So Tyrion once sentenced uh, that he will then you know beg the court to be sent to the Night's Watch to go to the Wall, and then. Upon that, after the trial is over, then we will see Jamie Lannister depart for Casterly Rock immediately. I love the alternate timeline in which this worked out, mm-hmm. where Tyrion gets sent to the wall and gets to be there for uh, for season five and, um, you know, is going to be around and see Jon Snow get brought back to life by Melisandre. There's nothing he's going to be able to do to stop the mutiny. So that's probably all still going to play. Um, but like, I feel like I feel like Game of Thrones doesn't change too dramatically if he goes to the wall rather than going to Daenerys. Like, well, I feel like these roads really are still going to go have that much to do in Essos. We've sort of complained about that for the next couple of seasons that uh, Tyrion is very underused going to uh, meet up with Daenerys. Like he's going to, you know, rule in her place and there's stuff that's going to happen there. But how much stuff really? Um, I do think that the story probably plays fairly similarly if you see Tyrion going to the wall rather than going and becoming uh, the Dragon Queen's consigliere. Right. I mean, maybe if Varys is, uh, you know, so upset with the way that this all uh, turns out that he ends up going to go leave for Essos and then going to go uh, meet up with Danny and we see Tyrion end up going to the wall and then he's there for for everything that's going on there. Uh, yeah, I think we probably end up getting in the same place. You get less uh, story for Davos is probably the big side effect, you know, because he ends up being Jon Snow's best friend and he's, you know, kind of his number two guy. And I do love Liam Cunningham when he is used properly rather than in a totally useless scene in Bravos. Uh, so I'm ultimately OK with where things go. But it'd be it would be um, it, it's just a fun alternate timeline to consider where Tyrion is sent to Castle Black and he's just hanging at the wall and is going to be a little more woke to the White Walker situation earlier on. Right. Now, the big thing that you would lose, though, if Jamie is going to go to Casterly Rock, of course, he won't be available to go to Dorne. Of course, there's no reason for him to go to Dorne. Uh, although he's going there to go get Marcella, right? So, uh, but Marcella won't be killed because uh, the Red Viper will survive because he won't have to fight the mountain and so yeah season five josh uh you're not gonna have any of that dorn subplot that you like oh man what a bummer that would have been bummer uh a few other things i guess would change is probably like tywin's not gonna get killed the way that he's gonna get killed the Mm -hmm. red viper is probably going to live at least long enough to to carry out his grudge against the lannisters in a more active way uh yeah actually things change a decent amount if Tyrion is able to go to castle black not the least of which being that tywin lives so man tywin Huge mistake with this next move he makes. Mistake. Okay. So it's not looking good for Tyrion. Jamie comes to talk to him. I think you're going to be found guilty. And Tyrion's like, oh, you think so? You think so? Really? Yeah. A great uh, Jessica Lewis throwback. (laughs) You think? And so he says, here's what you're going to do. Ask to go to the Night's Watch. And Tyrion says, hey, uh, that's what they told Ned Stark, too. Like, no, seriously. I It's Dad's cool with it. Yeah, I talked to dad. Dad's in. Just whatever you do, no more outbursts. Very illicit commie here. 
But the thing, the thing that I don't understand is if Tywin feels like he has locked this deal in with Jamie and he's going to be able to walk away from everything that he wants, you know, walk away from this with everything he wants at this point, why even call the next witness? Why, why, uh, why dunk on, on Tyrion with really no need? He's right. just, he's ruining the whole situation with okay. what he does now. So this is my question for you. Who is the architect of all this? Is it Tywin? Is it Cersei? or is it a joint effort? I think it's Tywin. I think at this point, like, I think while Tywin is ruling King's Landing, nothing is happening here unless he wants it to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you got to blame Tywin for this. I think Tywin, uh, he just wants to see his son squirm and be in pain. And it is, uh, it is that level of hubris that mm-hmm. is going to get him ultimately killed on the toilet. Because somebody has coached up Shay pretty good here. Right, right. And we don't know what the relationship between Tywin and Shay is yet. We know that they're going to wind up in bed together at some point in time. The show never chooses to give us anything in that regard in terms of how it happened. At this point, I would imagine that Tywin and Shay have come into con- contact mm-hmm. okay. in a manner of speaking. All right. So here comes the next witness. Uh, it is Shay. She says her name is Shay. No first name, no last name. What do you think? This is like a Kramer situation. Uh, is she her first name or last name? <laughs> it's like McLovin. I don't actually have a first name. Don't don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. But, we're, but we're the police. Uh, yeah. So Shay, it's just Shay like Cher. Uh, she she has one name only and she's got the she's got the true true. She's spilling the uh, the tea uh, that this was a this was a Tyrion and Sansa joint. Uh, they planned this together. She hated the king. He hated the king. It was a win-win. And if he is going to help Sansa out here, then he will be allowed into Sansa's bed. So, of course, he's going to say yes. That was That's the whole reason why this all happened, according to Shay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that she wasn't just Sansa's handmaiden. She was also his whore. And so, uh, Mace Tyrell, like, really didn't hear that, <laughs> which is great. He's like, wait, what did you say? You said you were mm-hmm. his, his or No, you heard it. It was, it's, it was correct. It was a little crass, but it's accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion's had enough. He needs to confess. I'm like, okay, all right, let's hear your confession. And he say, he's just, uh, in, incensed. He saved you. He saved everybody. He should have let Stannis kill everyone. Oh, it's so good. Uh, this is, this is among the very, very best Tyrion scenes of the entire series, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, like I think just like the the line delivery, like I should have let Stannis kill all of you. I've been on trial my entire life for being a dwarf. Like everything is just it's so good. Yes. Well, so good. Then Tywin says, uh, did you wish to confess? And that's when Tyrion says, yes, I'm I am guilty. Uh, but is that what you want to hear? Yeah. <laughs> and he says, uh, I'm guilty of a far more monstrous crime. I'm guilty of being a dwarf. I did not Yo, kill Joffrey. Yeah. yeah. But I wish I had. I wish I had. I know, yeah. It's kind of convincing. Yeah. At this point, like, but I mean, like everybody just wants to see blood, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it's convincing. Like you believe him, but a couple of things. One, he's ultimately going to end this all by saying, I demand trial by combat. So it's kind of a moot point, but he's also not endearing himself to the crowd because he's like, it's believable. But while it's believable, he's also saying that me as a crowd member, he would like to watch me choke on poison and die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, I'm not entirely like, you know, incentivized to like give this guy another shot. Mm hmm. And so Tyrion ultimately is going to demand a trial by combat. Everybody looks concerned and Tywin is giving him a, a real stare down look like you wouldn't. And yeah, Tyrion's like, oh, like, oh, I, oh, I did. Would. I, I, and I, and did. I did. I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, the I, red viper, the red viper is like, Ooh, no, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I, I think that this is a, uh, a real flaw in the Westeros justice system that I think that you should have to demand trial by combat before the trial. I don't think that you should get to go to your trial, get to see how it goes. And if you don't like how it turned out, then demand trial by combat. It's like, would you like trial by combat or would you like trial by tribunal? And then if if you've gone to trial, I don't think you get to say, all right, trial by combat now. 
I think that this is a great point, and I think that we should write to George R. R. Martin now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just similarly, if you have trial by combat and then the Red Viper gets killed, I don't think you should get to say, all right, I'd like to have a trial by judge. Right. Yeah. You get to pick one and you don't get to like reverse course where like if it's looking bad for uh in the the case of that fight like if it's like the red viper hasn't killed the mountain yet mm-hmm. but he has him on his back like if you're Tywin Lannister like you shouldn't be able to be like oh well let's actually just do the real trial cuz right. it's not looking good for my guy if anything Tyrion should get the right to appeal and have a new trial uh if yeah. for whatever reason he is granted one but I, I don't think you should be able to just reverse course I think that that's fair. I think that sounds reasonable. And I think that we should write our Congress. Martin. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So there you have it. But that is how the uh, founding fathers of Westeros dreamed it up. And who are we to just just <laughs> idiots on a microphone yeah. living in a literally completely different <laughs> reality? All right. But all in uh, all, uh, yeah. some uh, some great stuff. Uh, again, the first half of the episode is uh, what what is any of that stuff that we talked about? <laughs> and then you know, incredible performance by yes. uh, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion Lannister, yeah. perhaps his signature performance of the series. It's so good. It's it's just it's an excellent scene. It really is as good as you remember. It just so happens that the episode is also filled with stuff that maybe you don't remember, and mm. all of that stuff is no good. Uh, so fifty percent awful and. 50 50% spectacular. I still think that it is probably a better episode for the great stuff than the one we talked about last week, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, like I think the stuff that's so good in this episode is really among the best stuff sure. we've ever seen on Game of Thrones. And this is something that I used to talk about uh, with Akiva Winokur in the Seinfeld podcast where it's sort of like, I think you uh, rate an episode not necessarily by the sum of its parts, but I think that sort of the transcendent moments, I think, uh, sort of a, a affect the ranking of an episode as opposed to like you'd rather have an okay episode with an amazing scene or gag in it as opposed to an episode that was just solid all the way through i think it it, for me it's a little bit of a ratio thing and like if it was just like a five minute scene that was really really excellent in in an episode where it was like 45 minutes terrible i would not be able to abide that Mm -hmm. uh but the fact that like a solid 50 percent of this episode is among the great greatest game of thrones stuff we've seen uh you know certainly helps to to cool any uh annoyed feelings about the first 50 percent of the episode how about the the shea stuff like did that feel any better to you uh having you know kind of trying to like we were trying to take like a closer look at the dissolution between the Tyrion and Shay relationship i can only say for myself that i felt like i understood where she was coming from more on this watch through well let me ask you this question josh do you feel like that Shay, as of uh season four episode six in the timeline does she believe that Tyrion conspired with sansa to kill joffrey or does she believe he truly is innocent and her test testimony is going to be ultimately the nail in his coffin i think it's the second thing i think Mm -hmm. it's the second thing and i think like everything up until the lie where she is talking about uh the the like actual plot that he was conspiring uh against uh joffrey and like working with santa to kill him i think the rest of her story at least through a certain light was accurate Uh, Like, I I think that she's probably exaggerating in terms of like, I never cared about him. I was just doing what he wanted me to do. Um, I think in in like through the moment where she says like he was he was planning to murder the king. I do think like it's like a really like hurt grudge felt interpretation of how actual events took place. So I bought all of that stuff. Mm hmm. What if Tyrion had instead uh, like had like the romantic comedy or the uh, uh, romantic approach? And uh, then if he could have cross-examined Shay, it's like, you idiot. I I just told you those things to make you leave because I loved you. I always loved you. I knew my family would hurt you if they found you. And that's why I said the things to you. You know, I never cared about Sansa Stark. I only cared about you. I mean, would like would the hypnosis spell on Shay have broken? Maybe, maybe, but I think also he's just like so personally triggered at this point 
where he he can't you know he's a he is a very intelligent guy Tyrion Lannister but he's also impulsive and passionate Mm -hmm. there's a moment of of passion that is going to override everything else passionate man okay Josh next week Mockingbird oh yeah mock yeah uh very excited for Mockingbird great episode or at least a a tremendous ending yes so uh some great stuff going on and then uh i believe we will have a champion selected for Tyrion as well right i believe that is the case Mm. yes and we will get to see mountain 3.0 for the first time next week yes so oh i think next week maybe we get to see dario but if i'm i I think that's gonna be a thing so the marine storyline is finally gonna give us something yeah yes Uh, so uh, that's coming up next week on the game of thrones post show recap of course uh josh wiggler will have uh coverage very soon of the westworld season two finale oh my god it was lit yes yeah okay so much happening so much happening uh don't spoil anything all right no spoilers all right so josh there we have it the laws of gods and men are so exciting so exciting (laughs) yeah half half halfway really exciting maybe that's not so exciting but what what is exciting is what i have for you so that we had a lot of fun of course follow josh wiggler uh, on Twitter at Round Howard, I'm at Rob Sesternio, and uh, Josh, I, I want to. I have a treat for you as oh. we as we leave the show today. Oh, nice! You know how much I love lemon cakes. This okay. is amazing. Yes, no, not lemon cakes, but oh. we did have a very special treat made up for you. The oh. great Colin Latchford. Wow. A, a musical submission, our first ever on our first Waldorf. Yes, the Waldorf. Oh my God! Yes, and so here is uh, Colin Latchford to play us out a a tribute uh, to one of our fallen heroes on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Carl was just a skinny lad, good with knives, but he was bad. For the wall, he left the streets <gasps> of Jin Ali. <laughs> and when the bad guys made their plenty, they left it to Carl F. and Tanny. He stabbed Mormont in the Night's Watch mutiny. <laughs> Carl Fing Tanner. Carl took over Craster's land, drank from on skull and hand. But one thing would make him give it all away. Mira Reed takes off a hood, and Carl feels something in his weird wood. Oh, God. Those curly hairdos every day. I always like to go with girls. Oh, <laughs> Carl thinks curly hair's so nice. Mom look alike. His mom has. <laughs> Carl F. and Tanner can't be stopped. Mira Reed's curls, they make Carl Tanner's world go round. Even Jon Snow's curls, they make Carl Tanner's world go round. <laughs> hey, Jon Snow, I like your hair. Very curly. It's nice. <laughs> well struck, oh. sir. Oh, man. What a great first Waldorf submission. Where do we go from here? (laughs) Thanks, Colin. Is my question. (laughs) Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.